welcome back to another episode of Friends of the Vine Wine Podcast. So, episode 51. Just want to do a quick shout out to all the loyal listeners who patiently wait for my podcast once a month now, it seems. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. As you know, life gets in the way sometimes. There should actually be two this month. Uh, I've got one sitting waiting to be edited. Uh, that was my conversation with Randy Ollum, who is the wine master overseer of all the winemaking for Kendall Jackson Wines. And we actually have a great conversation about Chardonnay, but that's, uh, that's the next episode. Stay tuned for that. This one features Brenna Quigley. Brenna is a geologist. She is, among other projects, she is uh, someone who just started a podcast as well. It's called Roadside Terroir. A great, great in-depth look into the the geology, the terroir. Uh, specifically right now, this season, she's focusing on Santa Barbara. And she has other, other areas in mind for down the road. But uh, just a great conversation about, um, about the history and, and the geological makeup of uh, some of those unique areas that is Santa Barbara and Santa Rita Hills. And her podcast, which we get into in, in this episode, it's quite in-depth. It uh, goes into a lot about the, the landscape and the makeup of, uh, and the uniqueness that is the certain regions within California, like Santa Rita Hills, like Santa Barbara, and how much the, the terroir plays a role in that. So we'll get right into that pretty quick here. We actually start this podcast with us talking about her recent move from Santa Barbara to Napa and whether California wines as a whole was her primary focus. So let's get right into it. really this past year California wasn't a huge focus of mine I even though I lived in Santa Barbara I spent a lot of my time and my kind of early work was really focusing on France and the old world mostly I mean that was just kind of how it worked I started working for importers and exporters right away and I realized kind of quickly that as much as I wanted to stay in California and work in California, I wanted to be able to use the kind of, you know, use all of the information that the old world has been able to collect about terroir for hundreds of years and use that to really, you know, set, sorry. I don't have screaming kids. I have dogs. (laughs) Um. (laughs) My my chihuahuas have made many a podcast. They've, um, they've joined. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My, um, my dogs have started thinking that like when I say like, Oh, hi, how are you? That's their like, Oh, there's someone here. Like life in, in, you know, visitors in uh, (laughs) pandemic time are on the computer. So they get all riled up. Right. Um, Anyway, sorry. I was saying, um, I really wanted to use kind of the knowledge of the old world and the knowledge that they've been able to collect over hundreds of years to apply to different regions. But I think that, and what I hoped was that a lot of that information was transferable. Rules apply in Burgundy as they do in, in California and Napa and, you know, do the same rules apply for Riesling as they do for Pinot Noir. 
which is still the questions that I'm trying to figure out. Well, and I, I know you're, you're, you started the podcast with kind of focusing on California, I guess, without, without giving away too many uh, upcoming episodes, but I'm assuming you've got other, other areas in mind, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, the podcast was initially supposed to start in Austria cool. because I had I went on a really great trip there with the Austrian Wine Marketing Board who are just wonderfully organized and you know, they're really passionate about doing very very unique educational things. They really think out of the box and uh they kind of asked me what, you know, we had this great trip and they said, you know, oh, we're really excited about what you're doing, like, what would you, you know, we'd like to do something with you. What would you like to do? And so it was like, I kind of had this opportunity to think of like, if I could do whatever I wanted, what would I want it to be? And that's the, um, how the idea of the podcast kind of grew out of that. Interesting. I know there's a few, a friend of mine who's a psalm in Vancouver, they went on a Austrian wine trip where they basically pull psalms from around the world and send them to Austria for two weeks. And I'm like, that's, mm -hmm. that's pretty sweet. Yeah. They, they seem yeah. to have the hand, yeah, the exactly. on it. Yeah. They really do. And you know, I, I think it works, it works very well for them because Austria is such a special place and they're so excited to show it to people and that, that kind of love and passion and stuff really comes through uh, to the people visiting. You know, it's not just like a fun trip to Europe. It's, you really get to feel how proud they are of, you know, their terroirs and their, the wines that they're making. Here's a, here's a slightly off, off beat question because it's something I've always thought about and, and mm -hmm. thinking about terroir with France and I, with the world wars that, that, you know, kind of were throughout that region would, I mean, obviously it's affected, you know, the landscape um, and the taste profiles. And I just wonder how much that that has, that has influenced the the regions you know what i mean it just seems to me there's got to be some sort of connection you know what i mean yeah i think so um you know i think the i think there are interesting examples of that i think the the most interesting example i was just talking to a friend about the other day is um is alsace you know like the it, it has this crazy human history where it was you know German and it was French and it was not French, but not German, blah, 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 you know, kind of, they had this, they had this cultural identity crisis. And then you look at the grapes that are planted there. And there's this kind of grape identity crisis where there are, you know, how many different varieties grow throughout Alsace and they're all in all of the different vineyards, you know, all of the great vineyards have several different varieties planted. And, and there's kind of this, sort of confusion there. And then um, when you look at the wines, there's, you know, sweet and sparkling, you know, dry, off dry. There's sort of this identity crisis in a lot of the wines. And when you look at the geology, it's absolutely wild because <laughs> there's like a huge identity crisis in the geology. There's nowhere else in the world that I can think of that has such a dramatic change in you know, the, the geological basis for the terroirs in such short distances. It honest to God looks like a checkerboard. Mm. And then there's everything from, you know, granite to limestone to alluvial things. And they're all, you know, meters away from each other. And I mean, it's just, it's maybe just in like a, 
poetic sense, but it's just crazy how all of those things kind of compound on top of each other. You know, the geological history in Alsace, you know, is hundreds of millions of years old, but how in some weird way it kind of reflects the people and the wines. And, you know, it's all kind of all messily tied up into one. So it's kind of a beautiful story, but also kind of explains, I think, why Alsace is a hard sell for a lot of people. And I think it's because it's so, it's so complicated. I got into wine uh, because I started working at a, at a tasting room in downtown Santa Barbara. I started working for Seth Cunin. Uh, and um, now Megan Cunin. Uh, and I, it was, I was a wine club member of theirs. I loved their wine while I was in grad school for geology in Santa Barbara. And I, I mean, I was just kind of having a bit of like a life, uh, I called it, you know, the quarter life crisis. I didn't, I was finishing grad school and I didn't, um, I didn't, I was no longer interested in the jobs that I thought that I'd been in, that I was going to be interested in, in the geology field. I didn't, you know, oil and gas wasn't going to happen. Um, I was a little disenchanted by academia. Um, my original plan was, you know, to get a PhD and to, to go on and do that because I love teaching and I love research. So I thought it would be perfect. Yeah. And kind of both of those things were not, not going to happen. And so as a, as to bide my time, I got this job at a tasting room, um, really on just like a total whim. Uh, and I just loved it. I mean, I loved every, I loved everything about it in a very weird way. Like there, there were days early on when I was stacking and I was restocking shelves, stacking bottles of wine. And I just remember being like, I love this. I'm going to the tasting room for, you know, for the rest of, rest of my life. Like I just yeah. love being a part of the wine industry. And was it, was wine something though, like, were you, would you have the occasional glass um, or was it just, was it kind of full throttle at that point? Like you got, you got a job and, and it just kind of hit you that this is where you wanted to, regardless of where, but some, you wanted to be involved in some sense, right? We grew up with wine on the table. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't necessarily fancy or something that my parents talked about, but it was an important part of a meal. And it, so I think I had a, a very real appreciation for it. And, but I didn't really understand anything about the world until I started working, you know, even just in the tasting room and Santa Barbara is such a small town and Seth was really good friends with Raj and it's such a little community, you know, where people, people just, especially when they can tell you love it, they really want to help you help immerse you. So it was really only a couple months from, you know, working in that tasting room uh, and realizing that people were really interested in geology. Uh, and Seth introduced me to Raj and to uh, Ted Vance, who's a, an importer into um, into California, and now he's expanded into several other other states. But I, you know, I had this like crazy. I met them on Christmas Eve several, you know, now many years ago, and was very nervous. I knew that I was meeting these like really cool, important wine people. I had no idea who they were. I just knew they were a big deal. And was nervous that I was going to embarrass myself. And uh, Seth introduced uh, Seth introduced me. He said, "Oh, you know, Ted Raj, uh, this is Brenna. She's a geologist." And like they were just floored. Like they were so excited. 
like, we have so many questions. And the whole night they spent asking me, you know, very nerdy geology questions. And I, I remember this, you know, having this, having there like be a shift in like, I was so nervous to, to talk about wine. And I suddenly realized, I was like, oh, like I, this is geology. Like I know the answer to these questions. Yeah. And so I, there was kind of this calm came over me where it was like, oh, I've got this. Um, and, you know, that was really it. Uh, Ted and I became really good friends really fast. He hired me to be a, a his geology tutor. <laughs> and I we exchanged um, geology classes for wine classes. And so we would, you know, every week or a couple of weeks we would get together and I would have like a PowerPoint presentation on my computer talking about, you know, igneous rocks. And we'd go over all the details of igneous rocks and uh, he will have would have paired different wines from different, you know, igneous terroirs that we talked about in advance and we'd taste through them. And he taught me how to taste and he taught me how to think about tasting wine as via terroir first. So this is again within like six months of, of me being introduced to the world of wine at all. I was taught to taste always with geology in mind. And so I, I never really did the, I never did the psalm tasting bracket, you know, whatever it is. Um, and I never kind of got, I never went down on down that road, which I think was actually really helpful because it's really been a focused, a focused path of mine to really think about terroir in the context of tasting or taste in the context of terroir. From there, I started, uh, I started traveling with Ted and his company when they would go, you know, started out just as like, you know, we want you to tag along. And then they actually hired me to go on a couple trips as, as kind of like, as like a geology guide. Um, and I think that was really the, when the thought for like the roadside terroir concept came up is when I started doing these trips with people where they just kind of wanted to see you know, it was worth it for them to have me along on their, you know, on their regular tasting trips where they would go visit a few vineyards with producers and taste in the cellar. And it was worth it for them to have me along to, to explain what they were seeing as they drove by, you know, as, as we drove from one place to another, or from one vineyard to another. And when we got into one vineyard and I was uh, constantly surprised and pleased by how excited people would get like how excited people would be when I would say like oh you see that you know slope over there was created you know because there's a big fault in between where we're standing here and there and you know oh you know this vineyard is actually separated from this vineyard by these two different rocks and you can actually see that and here's how you can tell why and yeah I was just always I was always impressed by how passionate the wine community was to really learn about these things and to have a sense of the bigger picture of the world around them, I think is a really beautiful thing that comes out about, comes out of learning about geology of any place where you're going. I mean, even, and, and from the taste side, just knowing if it's limestone, you know, what, what, what my taste profile will be, if it's sand, if it's clay, if it's, you know, and kind of, then you can start thinking in your head what, what you're going to be looking for in your wines, right? Uh, exactly. I kind of, I kind of tend to think about it as like, it's the innate personality of the wine. You know, it, it's the, it's definitely, uh, personally, I 
I taste for terroir via structure and texture in the wine. And so it's kind of like it gives it the the basic the basic bones, you know, like it gives it the the you know unchangeable unchangeable, you know, it's kind of it quickly becomes like a nature versus nurture conversation. But there's this kind of like un unchangeable, you know, essence to the wine that really needs to be matched in how it's farmed and how it's how the wine is then made uh, in a way that's respectful of that, you know? So wines on sand tend to be, have kind of this like light, maybe ethereal, more or less weightless feeling to them. Uh, and, you know, that can be handled in different ways. Like, and we talk about this a lot with Pinot Noir in Santa Barbara County, where it's, on sand, it can have this kind of weightlessness to it, but then if you also have lightness and a lot of like tannic backbone, things get a little wonky, you know, and it's it's less pretty. So you really, the it's the winemaker's job to really match that that shape of the wine with the shape of how the the winemaking is going to hopefully complement it. You know, Ted taught me one of the first things he taught me was like limestone often equals power. So a lot of times you're going to get a lot of a lot of power from the wine and a lot of usually straight lines. And that needs to be kind of handled carefully in order to create something really beautiful and balanced. And that's why it can have, it can make such profound wines, but it, you know, the wrong variety, the wrong farming, the wrong winemaking, it can actually be, you know, pretty, pretty clunky, like pretty, pretty off if you don't do it right. And, and, and it's also interesting just, you know, where, where, wherever you are in the world, just those, some of those profiles that, that match up, right? Like Australia with the kind of the eucalyptus, uh, you know, that you, you catch on, on wines. And, and I just love, I just love that about wine. I love that you'll get those consistent profiles, you know, when you got like the Rhone Valley or whatever, I think mm-hmm. that I just, I find that side of terroir to be so cool. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, so like I said, that was kind of one of the first, like, I went to I went to Burgundy pretty early on and I became very quickly became very good friends with Paul Wasserman, who's today one of my very closest friends. Much to his dismay, he gets the like, you know, when I'm working on a mapping project or something, he gets the two AM phone calls, which luckily it's luckily for him it's morning in France when I call him at two AM. So <laughs> so he actually answers, but but so, so I learned and Burgundy talks about terroir in a, with precision that, you know, is unmatched in most regions. You know, there are of course some, some big exceptions to regions that historically have like Bordeaux and it, even Napa has kind of a real history of talking about different sites. So I, I learned some rules really quickly. And the next question was like, do these all apply? Like, do they apply to different grapes? And so then after I, I mean, it, it, it will be many, 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 many years before I would ever say that I've even become close to understanding Burgundy. But, you know, I, I found a list of kind of base rules for talking about terroir. And then I, I took them to different places. And I did a bunch of trips to Austria and to Germany and kind of, kind of a quick trip to Spain, Italy, and started asking all of these same questions to see, do they do they apply, you know, like is, you know, can you, can you feel limestone and wines in different places? And um, can you, 
you know, can you, I think a big question is, you know, like clay and diluvium and, you know, can you, can you feel that difference in, in all those places? And for the most part, yes, like for the most part, a lot of those rules do kind of seem to apply, but there are some fun exceptions as well. Interesting. Just sort of switching gears for a second, other than, than California and the, you obviously you've toured, you know, a, a bunch of different places, but have you gone up Washington state, Oregon, up, up into BC at all? Um, have you done I anything? Well, the oh, BC, I got to throw in the Canadian BC question, of course, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You know, I did a great trip up to Oregon um, and we went as far as the Columbia Gorge. So I think we did technically go over to the Washington sign a little bit, but I wouldn't say that I have good experience in Washington, but I did have a great uh, kind of a whirlwind trip in Oregon, but I got to see a lot of like I said, both the Gorge and the Willamette Valley. So I have kind of a base understanding there. I don't have, especially in BC, I don't have much experience, but I did go see, um, I did this great event, I think a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year, but feels like a lifetime ago right, yeah. in, in Toronto. And so I went up to, I'm blanking on the name now, what is the? Niagara. Na- yeah, yeah, up to Niagara. Uh, and did like a really quick visit with Pearl Morissette. Pretty much the the legend, uh, the legend. Yeah, I mean, he's a former Burgundy guy as well. So um, mm-hmm. it's literally the best Canadian wine, pretty much. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that can't be. Yeah, I was I was totally floored. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's funny because I I always think about somebody once was watching hockey for the first time and they they're watching like the Olympics. I'm like, that can't be your baseline. Like, you can't watch, like, the highest end. It's like drinking Pearl Morissette. It's like, well, nothing else is going to compare, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, uh, well, they, they are beautiful wines, and they're yeah. great. I am from Minnesota, by the way. So, oh. I don't know. I have to say, like, I am still of the belief that, like, the Minnesota State High School Hockey Championships, I think, is, like, the best hockey that there is in the world. Like, I think it's more exciting than than the olympics i'll tell you that um not to segue but minnesota and vancouver have had some absolutely epic uh playoff battles through the years it seems every year that they match up against each other they always seem to have these these you know seven game you know knockout slugfest kind of things literal Uh literal and physical literal and metaphorical yeah right (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) yeah pearl Pearl morissette's like I mean, I mean, he, he was a burgundy guy, so you've got that pedigree, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he worked with, uh, Fred, Fred Mounier. Right. Yeah. So again, not to segue, I, I do this by the way, this is how, this is how my podcast works. I just segue all of this. So <laughs> you've hung out with Raj, you've hung out with Abe and his project, Abe's project. Um, mm-hmm. do you know Christina Rasmussen as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I had her on uh, a while ago on on the podcast. Uh, she's lovely okay. as well. She's awesome. Yeah, another bright, young, uh, talented, uh, you know, person who's who's um, just got tons of knowledge as well. So, um, mm-hmm. I just I, I I love to see it. Uh, I'm talking like I'm an 80 year old, but I love to see mm-hmm. the the growth in the wine world where. You've got a lot of young, female, male, a lot of young uh, up-and-coming winemakers up-and-coming, 
you know, wine writers and, and everyone else in the, in the world that the next generation is kind of, is, is, is coming along well, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's a weird, it's a weird thing because women have not had it easy in the wine industry in particular. There's a lot of, it's a, it's a weird space for women, uh, especially as far as being taken seriously professionally. Uh, but, but in geology too. And I, that was part of, part of kind of why I left academia was I, I didn't, I didn't like how hard it felt being, you know, a young female geologist. For some reason, I just, it felt like it was constantly a fight. It felt like it was constantly this boys club. And I remember saying to someone else, like, you know, I just don't, I just don't think it's my fight. Like, I don't, I didn't feel like I had, I didn't feel like I had it in me to, to be the one to make all of the change. You know, like I, I felt really beat down as I was finishing grad school. You didn't have the energy, um, you didn't have the energy kind of. Yeah. Like I just felt, I just felt like I couldn't fight and I look back on it and it's so funny that I like ended up choosing wine, <laughs> you know, because it's really not an easy, it hasn't historically been an easy place for women to really, to, to, you know, to really do it. But I think the difference is that like, the wine industry is moving faster. Like the women in the wine industry are moving up faster than I have, I can imagine in any industry at all. You know, I mean, I am constantly surrounded by really incredible young women that are so inspiring. I mean, Napa in particular has a huge community of young females that are just charging ahead. And, you know, I think, I think that's really the, really the difference it's it's still hard but i just feel like i'm i have a community of women in in the wine industry that also women that really build each other up which is just really cool to see and i feel very incredibly grateful to be a part of i i definitely agree in the in bc as well there's a lot of a lot of young up-and-coming female winemakers for as an example uh I don't know. I, I, since I got in, like, so it's only been say five years since I've really immersed myself in the, in the wine world. And you just see so much young talent, you know what I mean? And, and uh, it's a good place up here as well for, and it is a small community as well. It's, I think it's, I feel like it's very similar where there's a lot of people that everyone knows each other. Everyone's trying to assist each other and, and, you know, get, get the Okanagan on the map, shall we say. And, and so why not assist each other? Why not help each other and, and get, you know, the more, the more the people know about the, about this area, the better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I guess I should say, I mean, there's a community of women that, that really build each other up and support each other, but also, and it must be the difference too, is I feel like the, not everyone historically, of course, but there are, they're the whole wine community, you know, like there are lots of, there are lots of men young and old who are just kind of like, this is amazing. Like what a cool perspective that like we hadn't really thought of before. And so there's just a lot of support from all sides, you know, still, it's still not, not easy all the time, but it's, you can kind of feel the momentum. Well, and I think from, from your perspective, it's not like people never thought about terroir before or never thought about, you know, um, limestone and, and, and all, you know, I mean, and it's like, it, but you're bringing a fresh perspective. You're bringing the scientific side to, to wine 
um, mm-hmm. with an authoritative voice as opposed to, I mean, terroir to me is also this kind of philosophical, you know, mm-hmm. the, the kind of the French side of it where it's kind of, uh, you know, there's the time and there's the place and there's the, you know, the mystical aesthetics that go yeah. into, but there's obviously the science that goes behind it. And so you, you kind of able, are able to bring, bring people up in the technical side as well. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's another thing where I think I actually, I was really lucky that I was a very young female when I was getting introduced to all of this because I, I would have never in the early days, you know, have felt, felt okay showing up to some, you know, important estate in Burgundy and okay let me tell you about your terroir you know like I (laughs) I was never going to do that as like a 25 year old woman like I just wasn't and especially me in particular I just wasn't going to do that but you know instead I would go and I would get to ask questions and hear what they thought and then I mean the the Burgundians especially have been amazing about asking me questions you know like oh what is this and what do you think about this and and being really open to working with me to learn so that everybody learns. And I've gotten, because I'm just one person, I've gotten to be really lucky and being selective with people that I, that I do work with when I work in their vineyards. And it's, it's really always trying to capture those first, you know, those first visits that I took to Europe where there were these wonderfully collaborative conversations where everyone was able to come together with respect for the other people and learn what they're bringing to the table. So when I do that work, it's not about me showing up and saying, okay, here's what you've got, throw that stuff away, like (laughs) replant this to green beans, whatever. Never. It's kind of like, okay, here here are the important places and here's what the geology says. Like, here's what I see. Here's what you see. Here's what the winemaker sees. Here's what the, um, you know, the, whoever is working in the vineyards, if it's not, you know, if it's, there's a vineyard manager, you know, whoever actually has their feet on the ground, it's how can we pull all of our, all of our data, all of our collective data as very different people who see the world in very different ways. And how can we bring that together to make a coherent story about the terroir? I would, I would think at some point they've probably also maybe just gone on, um, well, this is how, you know, historical, this is, we've always done it this way, or just assumptions on what they thought, mm-hmm. what, what they thought was wh- where it was or what it was, or, and, and you've kind of come along at, at some points and said, actually, it's not this, it's actually that or whatever. And they kind of assisted them almost because they've kind of, kind of gone along, you know what I mean? Right. And you know, what I found is, I mean, my number one rule is that like in the end the vigneron is always right like if someone actually spends time in their vines and you know they have a sense for what's going on they can tell me a lot and a lot of times it is it's kind of like they've been told certain things and maybe they're kind of telling this story that they don't actually believe in because they've heard these words and they're kind of repeating their geology buzzwords or something but when you talk to them about the site and about the wine, they will always actually accurately describe the geology. Like sometimes I just need to help them get the right words, you know, or the right context or the right confidence to tell that story geologically. But they can always explain the pieces, you know, when they're talking about the wine or they'll talk about, you know, 
the, you know, how many days, the classic question now is like, how many days after it rains until you put a tractor in this vineyard, you know, versus that vineyard? Because they under, they actually understand all of these functional things that tell part of that geologic story. They just didn't, um, they didn't quite know how to talk about it. Yeah, they didn't know how to describe what, what it was they were doing just naturally, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's what I found with Raj, too. I mean, even on that, like, the first day that I met him, and, like, luckily I I knew that he was a very, you know, he's a very impressive, like, important guy. I didn't, I didn't know anything more than, you know, that he was to be respected. And, like, I always joke that he would you know, he immediately was telling me something about like blue granite. And I was like, blue granite, that is not a thing. <laughs> you know, like <that's laughs> and, and I think that that happens to a lot of geologists, like they kind of talk to sommeliers or to wine people and they use these terms. And, you know, if you're an old emeritus professor geologist, you're real quick to be kind of like, ah, oh, no one really knows what they're talking about. Yeah. But I mean, I could see that, okay, that term's not, something that a geologist would use but he was describing something real like he could he could still describe how the rock looked and he could describe where he found it in what vineyards and not in other vineyards and he could explain you know that you know he had a sense for things in different places and so you know I think that it really has to come from this like side of listening and mutual respect because you know my life would have been very different if you know the day that I met Raj Parr I you know didn't take him seriously because he said blue granite. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. Right. Like, can you imagine your life without Raj? No way. No. Um, no, I don't want to. He's a close friend. I, that was my biggest fear of leaving Santa Barbara. I just moved to Napa, but luckily I get to talk to him on the phone all the time now. So that's, it's actually nice. Nice to check in. Yeah. Yeah, he he was so in my kind of in my so this is just a hobby for me, right? And it's just something I do for fun. And but there was like my list, like my you know my list in my head of people I wanted to talk to, right? And so Raj was like, you know, in the top three people that I wanted to talk to, right? Yeah. So, and it, it was within the probably the first first six or seven podcasts that I was able to talk to him. And so I'm like, well, now what I do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I talked to yeah. I talked to Brian. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, well, I still have Jancis. I still have Jancis. Jancis is um, Jancis. Fred, I think I'd be too. Fred Dame, I would be a little too scared to to sit with. Yeah. But Jancis, I'd like to do in person, and and I've done enough ones on Skype or, or Zoom or whatever. And I've done you know obviously the ones locally I've done, um, mm-hmm. you know in person or whatever. But there's a few obviously you have, you know, can't travel the world all the time, right? So um, yeah. You have to Especially do. Yeah, right. Uh, we were supposed to go to Portugal this this summer, and mm-hmm. I already had a bunch of of wineries lined up, and I was going to bring my bring my recording stuff. And oh man, so, yeah, yeah. So next year, next year. But, yeah, um, yeah. You know, on the on the topic of Raj, it is true. Like, I mean, the the wine world wouldn't be the same place without him. Like, he's so generous with his time and and with his knowledge and uh you know with wine of course too but i i was thinking that as i was you know being sad about moving away from santa barbara that it's it's just incredible that someone someone 
in the position that he's in is still like taking these huge risks to do stuff that he is basically starting like from, you know, starting from the basics. Like he's farming his own vineyard in Cambria now, you know, like he doesn't, he, you know, he obviously doesn't have a background in farming, but he's just diving in and, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have to do that, but you know, he doesn't have to work with new varieties that he doesn't know how to make. Like he didn't have to become a winemaker. He had, he had a successful path and he's just constantly challenging himself and he's constantly open to learning new things. And he's constantly opening, open to learning new things from, from young people, which I think is really cool too. Like, I think that really keeps him on, you know, on the edge of what's happening is because he really does have a lot of respect for, you know, for some young for a young geologist or to other young, like when he meets young winemakers, he's kind of like, Oh, cool. Like, like let's be friends. Like let's, let's learn together. And I think that's, I don't know. I'm constantly, constantly inspired by him. Is there a wine for you that you're just like, you know what, this is, this is, this is the one for me. This, this, this is the grape. This is the grape for me. I can't ever not have this grape. I need to have this grape. I'm on a desert island. I, I got this is the one grape I'm I'm gonna live with the rest of my life. Is there something for you that that always rings true? Oh man, I uh, I don't know. I'm very much like a time and a place kind of person, so it's difficult. Like I I like everything in the right context. I think maybe. I mean, I, I would be hesitant to say all of Chardonnay, <laughs> but you know, like good Chardonnay, you know, good like white Burgundy or the stuff coming out of the Santa Rita Hills or, or, you know, really kind of cool climate stuff out of, um, up North here too is it's so versatile. And I mean, it can, it can show a lot of method, but it can also show terroir as well. And I think that's also what's cool about it is, is it can have different personalities with different terroirs. So that, that would maybe have to be my desert island wine. It's funny you say that because I know a lot of winemakers, they, that's like their canvas, right? Like they love Chardonnay. They love working with Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's one of, the, one of my favorite wineries in the Okanagan. They've, I think they've got, they've got 12 different, 12 different um, labels or SKUs or whatever on Chardonnay just because mm-hmm. they love working with it, right? So mm-hmm. I also find it funny when people in California say up north. I always find that funny, you know, like oh, in Northern yeah. California. And it's just like, you're still south. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of flowers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And or I don't know. I mean, for a different perspective, like I have the Syrah bug too, just because it's has so much soul. Yeah, I, I got on a Syrah kick last year and I was kind of every year I was kind of picking I was on an Italian kick for a while. I was on a like Sangiovese, I was on a it was just mm-hmm. just and, and then just also trying to understand understand grapes, right? And so spending some time, right? Spend a few months or whatever and try different, you know, different uh tastes from around the world, right? On on different whatever it was, right? So I was I was trying to do the same thing where kind of do my own, you know, my own study, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's great wine everywhere. It's cool. And it's cool to learn new places. I like the style of your podcast as well, how you, there's so many different styles of podcasts, right? And I just kind of like how you, you have a narrative, you know what I mean? And uh, 
I just like the way it flows in that sense. I guess obviously it's a it's a it's a focus or it's um it's a specific style of uh, you know that your intention was to to go a certain route. Just curious why you mm-hmm. chose that. Originally, I it wasn't originally it wasn't even going to be a podcast. It was going to be an actual little booklet. And so it was going to be a, with driving directions and everything. And it was going to be, you know, we could go to a wine region and, it, you know, it would say drive five miles on 101 North and, you know, take a right onto Sweeney Road. And the first vineyard that you'll see is, you know, uh, Ben Rock, for example. That's not quite true. But, <laughs> but um, you know, that was, that was really the goal. Was it to be like a guided thing? And I was telling a friend about it. Uh, who works in audio and how excited I was about this idea. And it would have little drawings and maps and stuff. Cause that's kind of usually my thing. And he was like, well, if people are in their cars, shouldn't it be audio? Like, shouldn't it be a podcast? Shouldn't it be something that people listen to because they're in their car? And I was like, well, that's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> like, and I knew nothing about the audio space or podcast or anything at all. And, they were super helpful and kind of helping me navigate all of that stuff. And, you know, so early on it was like, okay, is it going to be like, is it going to be timed? Like, should it be like, and now look to your right and you see bent rock, you know, like, so there was a long process of like really figuring out. I mean, it was actually months of really figuring out, can we do it kind of timed or like, how can we make it an immersive experience without it being timed? Because we realized that like the, that wasn't practical and it wouldn't be entertaining. So it was like, how can, how can we make it feel as similar to actually being with me, like with us, with us and the winemakers, you know, in, in the car really being there. And so, like I said, our first season was supposed to be Austria. And so we kind of had all this stuff in place and we were just going to like go for it when we got to Austria and COVID happened and it um, canceled all of our plans. And so, Hopefully season two will be Austria uh, as soon as, as soon as we can get there. Yeah. Um, but, but so because of COVID though, we decided to just go for it for Santa Barbara, which was in our backyard and to, and so then we, you know, we had all of this time, all of this COVID time too, where it was like, we could really work through creating this like immersive experience and maybe adding a little too much, <laughs> little, you know, a little too much detail or something because it's it's a it's definitely a lot of work to to make it that make it that immersive but in the same in the same sense and also it was at this moment with covid where people had these trips that they were canceling mm-hmm. you know like how in this new world where traveling is harder or whatever you know maybe you want to get the most out of your trip or or where people were just craving this moment of like experiencing things again it was like how can we really take people with us you know like how can we make them feel like they're there so that's kind of our goal that's cool it it it, it well it comes across i mean obviously the the knowledge base is impressive and and uh and it comes across and even if you're just sitting yeah sitting at home listening or uh you do feel like you're out on a road trip so yeah it definitely comes across so well, well done right thank you yeah. means a lot <laughs> yeah no it's it's uh it's certainly detailed and, and, uh, even just, and I, I mean, you've done a good job with the audio, even just, you know, when you guys are walking around and 
and that's why like when I'm trying to go out in in the vineyards and walk around with a winemaker and try and get that ambient sound right so you guys have done a good job of that a whole wide world wild world out there of, of sound audio stuff that I'm that I'm diving into <laughs> yeah 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 you learn you learn a few things along the way I guess as well yeah yeah really fast but it's really fun and it's it is a kind of a it's a powerful it's a powerful uh medium you know I didn't realize like that people you know how you can really take people with you because it's audio you know like you don't like you you also get to go places with people because you're in their phones or whatever you know and so I always get uh, emails or texts or something where someone will, you know, either say the same thing. They'll be like, Oh, like I had to cancel a trip to Santa Barbara because of COVID. And, you know, I listened to your podcast and I got to feel like, you know, I was there or, you know, friends who are driving up the one are like, I listened to it on the drive and it was perfect. You know, like I could see all the things you're talking about. So it's really cool to feel it almost gets, to, you know, makes me feel like I'm traveling or around different places with people too. Yeah, I know for sure. And in the same regard, I've, I've got like this one, uh, one of the vineyard managers, he's got you know, like an hour between some of the, some of the sites. And so he's put my, my podcast on as he's driving from one, one parcel to the next parcel. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of cool to, to know that you're in people's lives that way. Right. And, uh, yeah. they're, you know, wandering around on a road, on a road trip themselves, listening to you. Mm-hmm. I feel like you've got lots of side projects going on. I feel like you've, you've got your hands in a lot of different things. Cause I just, even just creeping on your social media, you are at a harvest. I feel like you've got a lot of, a lot of different projects going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the harvest, I was just um, happy to help a friend sort some grape like to do. I like to, you know, get my hands in there whenever possible. But that was a, a personal personal project but but yeah really a lot of what I love to do is to be in all you know all sides of things and all different aspects of things so it keeps things exciting but it it can be pretty draining <laughs> because it's you know I've talked about there have been weeks where it's like I was tired in all of the different ways you can be tired this week you know like I did a lot of like physical labor for which so I was like physically exhausted but mentally refreshed and then I did a lot of like socializing or interviews or communicating things kind of mentally exhausting and right well and that that kind of leads to one of the the topic I was I, I forgot to mention or I forgot to to ask you about was uh, the Psalm TV project with the blind tasting with with Raj for one thing and and the you know your intro to geology as well that you did so that's I mean that's obviously another that was another fun project that was great they are they're so great and they're they're super nice and supportive I'd met them very very briefly before and I had about like less than 24 hours notice that we were going to do that so I was just thrown into it I you know, unfortunately, I don't have like a seller of, of, you know, old classic wines to blind Raj on. So I had to choose very obscure wines. <laughs> I wasn't trying to throw to really throw him for a loop at all. He described them beautifully. But so it was it was an extremely nerve wracking couple of days. I'm I not. Was, 
yeah, I had not been on on camera really ever before. So that was that was new. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is uh, I, it obviously was nerve wracking? You're go you're blind tasting with one of the literally one of the legends of blind tasting, and to be on camera to do it as well. And I the other question the question I had as well was have you ever blind tasted with Raj period and then to do it on camera obviously is a whole other ball game as well. Yeah, definitely. We, we do. I mean, Raj is a very good friend and up until, you know, very recently we both lived in Santa Barbara. So I saw him on, on a regular basis and he wouldn't blind me on stuff very often unless it was, you know, he's a very fair blind taster and it was for like kind of, truly educational purposes. There's no like, there's no gotcha moment that he's really looking for. It's really about like, if you remove the context of this wine, what do you think about it? And what, you know, what sticks out? Or like, I would ask him to, to, you know, blind me for more terroir specific things. So tasting with him is very comfortable, but this was totally different, you know, like blind tasting, when it is about getting it right and when it is, you know, in front of the world <laughs> was ter- totally terrifying. Well, and, and I guess to try and bring in, like you said, to try and bring in the, the geological side of it as well and to try and make those connections in the wine as well, right? To try and bring that kind of into the equation as well. Yeah, and that's what I've always sort of tried to do. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not really... I love blind tasting actually, because I think that that's when we learn the most. Uh, and so because of that, I'm, I'm really not into blind tasting in order to get it right. You know, like to me, like when, when I've had the rare moment of like, Oh, I know exactly what this is. It's just because I remember what it is. Cause I had it recently or I had it at a moment that really resonated with me as opposed to the times that I've gotten it wrong and I've learned a lot, Mm. you know? And so to me, it's really about picking people to, to find with that, you know, where there's no pressure and where they can really, they're really there to walk you through it and to walk you through your own thought process, you know, whether regardless of what their background is, they can kind of help you, think through what you're thinking and what you're observing and what that means and how it can be really meaningful. You know, I think the bigger fail in blind tasting is when you, when you just, when you just nail it off the top of the back, cause you remember it. I mean, it's impressive, but you know, I think the, for me that happens so rarely that it's just because I happened to know. It's a little different when you're, when you're Raj and you can do that with hundreds and hundreds of wines of all sorts of different vintages because you understand what that means. You know, that that's truly impressive. But. Well, I, and, and we were talking before recording about memory associations and stuff. So for, for him, he also has that memory bank full of, of all the wines, mm-hmm. but then it's impressive for him to also dig into, and, and I mean, and yourself in, in the tasting where you dig into the terroir as well. And you start to pull out what you are finding in the wines that relate to, be it, you know, limestone, be it whatever. Mm -hmm. That's, that's impressive that how do you kind of 
what's your deductive style in that sense where you for you to look for those for that kind of um uh, those points you know what i mean i mean it's really about a structure and texture uh and so so there can also be times where i'm really thrown off and i think i, I can't remember how you know how that tasting went in particular but that's also where like tasting with someone who wants to you know learn with you or kind of help you sort through stuff is really cool because it can be like there there are all these different things to look for you know so you can look for acidity you can look for you know all of those kind of basic things and they're all important and then it's like okay so if we're in this realm and then there's also this this other texture to it that could come from various things you know you have to sort of pick and choose and think where are we in the world what is the terroir saying and then what is the vintage saying you know like is this a I've been wrong. For example, I've been wrong in a really interesting way in the past couple of years as warmer vintages come out of Burgundy. And I, and I will say that they are more, how can I put this? Um, basically I get, I get sort of thrown out of the region because of the ripeness or something like I'll call Macon on, you know, something that's more like Cote de Bon because we're not seeing through how, you know, Macon has this, uh, can have this sort of bigger, you know, wider, broader structure to it that you can also get from ripeness. And so I think that's about, that's when you really learn a lot when you're tasting is you're like, okay, so we got Chardonnay, we got Burgundy. How are we interplaying the changing in vintage and the changing in climate and how that's impacting the structure of the wine with how we understand historically the terroirs to be structured. Um, and so I think if I remember correctly, I think, um, I think something like that happened while Raj and I were talking. Yeah, the, I was I was going to uh, watch watch it again before uh, we came on just to just to remember it myself. But uh, I've actually never seen it, so I don't know what I'm too terrified to see. It. Uh, <laughs> at least you're not too terrified to to talk on to talk on camera and to or to record because a lot of people who you know they they the amount of people have said, "Oh, I hate the sound of my own voice," or you know that kind of thing, right? Everyone seems to always always say it, right? So, yeah, I do. I yeah, it. I couldn't listen to my entire Levy interview. Um, eventually, I listened to most of it. It's really hard for me. And now I have a podcast, and I have to listen to my own voice all the time. <laughs> and so I just, I think I dissociate it from from my voice now. You know, like it's not. I, I sound one way in my head, and I can critique this other voice you know, at a distance that I don't, I, I had to kind of, you know, create some separation from it. Fair enough. Yeah. It, it's, it's always the classic, like if you hear yourself on an answer machine and then you're like, is that my dad? <laughs> oh gosh. I, my, I have three brothers who all now sound exactly like my dad. And it's weird because the older my dad gets, the more he sounds like them instead of around it's so bizarre like i'll be like you sound like eric 
That's funny. You know, who's my, you know, but he's older than me, but he's my, you know, he's quite a bit younger yeah. than my dad, obviously. And so it's, for some reason, my brothers must be sounding old as opposed to my dad sounding old. Did, did you do the, the, the little intro to geology at the same time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jason seems to run that way. I, I remember Sabato and I have had a few conversations how he touched down in LA for 24 hours and, and he ran him through blind taste scenes and then the intro to the Sangiovese and then, you know, three other things. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah. If he yeah, steals, you, like for, if he steals you for a half hour or he steals you for a day, he's like, I'm going to take you and, and obliterate you for a day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was good because it happened before I could say no. <laughs> it happened too quickly for me to say no. And that was cool with Matt as well. So that's, Matt seems like a good guy as well. I've never met him. Yeah, they did that in post. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Well, it comes off well and, and, and you come across well. So, uh, so congratulations oh, on that. So Thank you. Um, they're wonderful. They were super great to work with and were very generous to, to have me along. So. Well, and it's a, I mean, the amount of people who have the, the amount of people who I've spoken with who are Psalms or just in the business who, uh, who just appreciate what they're doing for the industry overall, just as a, you know, for wine content period. Um, they're certainly doing some great stuff for just the overall wine community so yeah absolutely i think we're going to leave it there for now thanks for listening for more wine conversation and podcast updates you can follow us on instagram at ian's wine truths check out our website for great photos of our guests friends of the vine.podbean.com take care have a blast for me